Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. We're in Christ's high priestly prayer as we move on to this. Let me open the word uh, to this passage uh, pretty amazing. I think well we know now, if we didn't before, that this is a really weighty uh, chapter. Uh, to say the least, I think there are more sermons preached on John 17 than any other sermons preached in history. More sermons preached in John 17.3 than any other sermon. Um, I heard John MacArthur saying that he was a uh, he, he, he was going through it a lot quicker than he wanted to. And he was in it for months. Uh, some preach a verse at a time, so they could be in it for years, as we know. Uh, but as we open this up, I, I, I would, and I know, I know it's not about racing through things, I would probably like to get through it a little quicker so we can get through this. But it's just it's just so weighty. And not only that, 18's no good. 18 is dark. 18 is Jesus' arrest. We want to kind of camp in this prayer for a wee while before we get into that dark hour uh, where Jesus just prior to his arrest. So this is just prior to Christ's arrest, as we know, uh, his final upper room discourse. Whether he's in the upper room at that point praying or he's somewhere in between there in Gethsemane, I'm not too sure. I'm sure some people think he's still in the upper room. I think he's somewhere in between, but then I don't know where in between he is. Um, one thing we know for sure is he's pouring his heart out to the Father for his beloved disciples at this point. Um, this is truly the Lord's prayer. This is the Lord's prayer. Um, and because it is that prayer, um, every word is so weighty. You know, even the spaces between the words carry weight, I feel, uh, and, and the depth of this chapter. Uh, and as I say, I would have liked to have speeded through it a wee bit quicker. Uh, because This is part seven of just the second part of the prayer. Uh, and we've maybe got another week of this part of the prayer. And then, I don't know, maybe another three, four weeks, two or three weeks. So you're talking about 12, 14 weeks in one, chap in one chapter, 12, 14 weeks. And I could be in it longer. Uh, we worked through the first part of the prayer where Jesus prays for himself to the Father. Uh, that he's finished his work, albeit apart from uh, his final arrest and death. We then moved on to the prayer for, as we're in the moment, praying for the disciples, where we've been for five weeks, coming to an end yet by next week, hopefully. Uh, let me read again from verse 6. This is the second part of the prayer. Uh, uh, and it's probably broke into sections, this prayer, or maybe we've broken into sections, but as you, as you read it, there's kind of, it's broken into sections. You, it's hard to break this into one verse at a time because of how it leads. So a couple of verses at a time, I think, kind of balances the, the prayer a bit better for me. Uh, verse 6 to 8, I have manifested your name to men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them the words which you have given me and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you and they have believed that you sent me. And it's only through the Son do we know the Father. We spoke about that weeks ago and 
No, before I was saved and before many of you are saved, you, you, you really didn't know God. You, it's only through Christ that you got to know God. You had a conception of God. You had an idea of God. You had a God of your own understanding. But only through Christ do you truly understand and know God. And the moment that you know Christ and who Christ is, it just instantly kind of marries who the Father is also. Uh, and only through the Son, as I say, do we know the Father and only Christ opens up that relationship to us and intercedes for us. He is the mediator. Uh, and through believing in the Son Jesus, um, we know the Father and then the Father in turn. Um, we then have that communion with the Father uh, through the Son. And then it says in verse 90, 11, where we spent weeks in, I pray for them, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours and all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Now I'm no longer in the world but these are in the world and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be as one as we are one. That statement of Christ praying for a unity and a oneness will be heard in the prayer as we go on. I think he says that another two or three times as we move through into the closing verses. Uh, and you'll hear him praying, uh, this may they be one as we are one. Uh, such is the importance of unity. Um, however, uh, I did hear, I heard, I heard R.C. Sproul saying this. I thought it was brilliant. He says, he's got a brilliant way of just capturing things in a kind of different kind of perspective and in an absolute way. This is what he says, and I'll paraphrase it. He says, if the fervent prayer of the righteous avails much, you can rest assured that it's no hope that there'll be unity. Isn't that wonderful? So there's no hope. Jesus isn't he praying, well, I hope you've got unity. It's an absolute because the fervent prayer of the righteous avails much and are they a more righteous prayer than Christ's prayer? So therefore it will be an absolute. It might not be an absolute at the moment, but you can rest assured it will be an absolute. You'll, I'll tell you when you can guarantee there'll be a much unity and it'll be complete unity when we die. There's no many arguments in heaven about who the Lord is. Now let me rephrase that, there isn't any. There's no disagreements in heaven about what's what and what's no. There's no arguments in heaven about who's the best guitar player. Okay? I was going to say that there's no worshipping in heaven. There's no, there, there is worship in heaven, but there's certainly no worship leaders. And that's a blessing. Not so much now. No, I just clocked Fraser at the corner of my eye. He's devastated by that. No, no, no. As you get more reformed, worship leaders kind of really deplete in a fantastically brilliant, sanctified way. In the pragmatic church, they're an absolute nightmare. Uh, anyway, I mean, when Sproul says that, therefore he's saying, no, it's an absolute. When Jesus prays in the fervent prayer of the righteousness, or the righteous avails much, how much more does the righteous prayer of Christ avail? So we know that's going to be an absolute, and I love that RC points that out. For sure, we all finish the race, we'll know that. However, it's still something Christ prayed and is mentioned on a few occasions. Under what? Under the listening ear of the disciples. You know, and much of this prayer, as we know, is, is, is with the ear of the disciple in mind. Uh, it's much of it is so that the disciples can hear it, encourage them, equip them. Um, 
And something that we continue to do as a church, I think is most vital, is that we are in unity. In fact, again, I mentioned Thomas Brooks. I was reading the works of Thomas Brooks, and in particular, uh, again, the huge section on Satan's devices and the remedy for it. And here he talks of one of the devices Satan uses. And you know what? One of the major devices he uses lack of unity. The lack of unity, uh, the lack of togetherness and oneness is a major device that Satan will use to infect the church and infect the soul of the believer. A lack of oneness. Imagine Jesus no fulfilling all that the Father willed him to do because he had a different idea. <laughs> Thank you. That you may be as one as we are one, but I've got a different idea. I've got a different take on the word. Uh, I've got a submission problem. Or I wanted all the glory to myself. Or I wasn't ready to work with him. Yet that's what we see in the church all over the world. Uh, we do work hard on being united as a church. And that means that we'll challenge lack of unity, gossip, backbiting, and all the other stuff that goes with it. That does not mean to say that at times stuff doesn't flare up. Of course it does. But that stuff has to be challenged then. What happens in the church is, is that, and I can relate this to, to, to where we were at, but I see it all over the church today, especially the modern, more pragmatic church or the seeker-friendly seeker church is always, always full of fractions. And I'll explain why. Because in the churches, the weak leader tries to accommodate all the lack of unity. So he's not happy, so we'll try and create something for him. Churches has got five and six different bands going on because everybody wants to be the band leader. That's true. No, I know churches that have got three or four diff different worship bands. And many of them only come when they're playing. In fact, they only worship when they're playing. Uh, many people want to be in a worship band, but they don't worship God. Well, what is it you want to be in the band for? That's what I wonder. Uh, worship church worship bands with names. Is there anything more appalling than a church worship band with its own made up name? Whatever that name may be, there's some classics out there, isn't there? Well, Gunger was one of them. That went well, didn't it? Oh, that worked out well. Other bands, RPM. That was one of them. What was the other? What were they called? Other ones. Oh, that. Anyway, you know, you know where I'm coming from here. But what happens is, run about this lack of unity, you get the weak leader, and the weak leader knows there's lack of unity. But rather than confront it and, and understand why there is a lack of unity, they just try and give people a turn. I mean, the last thing a person with a, a, a bad attitude needs is a mic to give them a better attitude. Don't you think? I'm going to give you a mic so they feel loved and they feel included. Oh my goodness. No, I'm going to let you start a group. I was part of a church where MD had a nightmare they were allowed to just go and start something themselves to try and keep them involved. I remember speaking to my pastor in the first church and I was like, I'm troubled. And obviously I'm then trying to manage 
submission and then my own issues and what's going on here and my own competitiveness and all the sickness that was going on in me at the same time. As well as seeing disgruntled people getting the platform for five minutes every other week. And I'm thinking, they don't need a five-minute platform to get over their gripe. And then they would feel loved, loved for five minutes. And then next week they would be unhappy again. I remember James. James was my, the assistant pastor. Was that, would that be your statement? Would that be your title? James was the assistant pastor in the church that I was in. And when he would go and preach or teach, uh, there used to be this guy in the church. He would just, he would read his own sermon when James was preaching and just get tore right into his own sermon that was better than James's. Without anybody ever saying a word to him. Is that not disgusting? Why would you not confront that? Do you know why you wouldn't be confronting that? Because you don't want you don't want anybody to be unhappy and you just want to keep them happy and then you have these pockets of people everywhere. Maybe be as one. As me and the father are also one. Weekly does accommodate all the lack of unity by calling it. Do you know what they call it, right here in the modern church? Individuality. It's a new one. It's not a new one. It's kind of been a bit a while, isn't it? There's no I in team, but this is one of the, the my old mentors says. There's no I in team, but there's five in individually brilliant. That's biblical, isn't it? There's no I in team, but there's five eyes in individually brilliant. Who does that appeal to? Certainly doesn't he appeal to be as one as me and Christ are one. Celebrate difference. There you go. That's the one. Box sets on that. I think I had a, I had a box set on that. Boxed, I need. I needed. Imagine having a box set and celebrate difference. When it's with to be as one as Christ are one. Yeah, of course, there's different calls and purposes in our life. But they're all for one purpose, aren't they? There was a guy in the last church we were in and he got on the guitar one day. Oh, man. You ever seen Jimi Hendrix on the platform in the church? I have. He went into an individual guitar lead break during worship and he just went off on one. Everybody's going, oh, he's talented. He's psychotic. <laughs> totally psychotic he was. Why, why was he given that opportunity? Because he was disgruntled. He was disgruntled and he was terrified he left. I was terrified he stayed. <laughs> I was terrified he stayed the way he was. Zabir, that's much more gracious, isn't it? The, the, the earlier part was the truth, though. Uh, <laughs> few things cause more unrest within the body and affects the work of the gospel more than disunity. And, and, and the cause of this, and you'll see how this ties in with what Christ's praying, and one of the causes is the word is not the plumb line for the whole church. The, the word is not the plumb line for the whole church. And when the word is not the plumb line for the whole church and personal interpretation takes precedent, personal revelation takes over. And then when the church starts to celebrate that more and promote, doesn't he just celebrate it? It promotes it. In fact, you're not sanctified enough until you've got your own private interpretation or revelation. 
It's not even about what does the word say, it's how do you see it? That's promoted and it appeals, it appeals to people's lack of submission. See the word submission here, it's hijacked in the church because it's badly taught. I wrote about submission years ago, this is what I wrote in a post, right? This is when I wrote, submit, commit or quit, that's what I said. Submit, commit or quit. A guy wrote back to my post and says, that sounds like comply or die. Callum wrote back to the guy, I never told you by the way, Callum wrote back to the guy, he says, a guy that doesn't understand submit, commit or quit will definitely see it as comply or die. <laughs> we submit to one another, but we see submission as control because much of the church has been a kind of controlled heavy-handed leadership. But that's not what it means. And people that understand that, and people that understand unity know it doesn't mean that. It's always people that one-man bands. You know, here's the thing I always say about one-man bands. They never know when they're out of tune. I used to play the guitar when I drank, right? No, I never. I used to make a noise when I used to be an alcoholic with a guitar. And I thought I was Brilliant. It was pathetic. I was loved in Walter Mitty world, right? I don't want to make it about me here. I thought I was in tune. I thought I'd rhythm. Until you started playing with other people. It's like singing. You think you're not a bad... Well, I don't, maybe you don't think you're not a bad singer, right? So some people have got no bad wee voice. I'm kinda, I can hold, hold a tune. Until I play with people that can hold a tune. And then you listen to it back and you're like, you're actually out of tune. No, because I'm a one-man band. And one-man bands never know they're out of tune. Because there's no harmony. And a violin and an orchestra. And the strings, especially in the strings, and the violins, the, the violinists can only play to the level of the worst violin player. Because everything's got to be really united. There's got to be a real symphony. There's got to be a real harmony. Well, you might have somebody that plays the solo section, of course, but you can't have somebody being a soloist when they're playing with the, the whole orchestra. But the church wants to celebrate difference, embraces it, it promotes it. And churches that promote that always, always, always have pockets everywhere of cliques. They're always cliques. Disgruntled people all over the place because they were getting fed ego and acceptance when they were getting to perform. And therefore, it becomes dead competitive. If any have been in the pragmatic, especially the charismatic, name it and claim it, I've got a sign and a wonder, becomes so competitive because you're desperate for a word because that's what elevates you to the next level. We used to go to a these conference, no conference, these church things, it's a church in Glasgow, and they always had a, a cue for the mic, because it was open mic time. Um, this, we weren't even, we weren't reformed then, and we, and even then, we're like, oh, this is ugly. And it would, you always knew who would cue. So it would be like, if MD's got a word, just cue here, and the cue would, it would start small, then the cue would get bigger as mere confidence got up, as people started to fake what they'd heard for the Lord. It was always the same people waiting in the queue and you're like, 
they need pastored and counselled about their neediness. That's what they need. They need pastored and counselled about their inadequacy, their inferiority. They don't need a mic to make them feel accepted and loved and wanted. It's just going to disgruntle them. It's just going to cause more pain and give you a false sense of well-being. Unity, therefore, as God says, as Christ prays this prayer as we go on, is binded by the word. That's what binds unity in the church, is the word, which we will read as we go through the verses today. We then went into into the section from 12 and 13. Let me read this. Only really touched in 13. I did read, I think, 14 and 15, but we never got to them. And that's what we're going to go to today. But let me just touch on verse 12 and 13, especially 13. And add more weight. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, the son of wrath. That the scripture might be fulfilled, we know that's Judas, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. It is Christ's heart that we have his joy. That joy is not a joy we see or gain from the world. But a heavenly joy, a holy joy, a joy of doing the will of the Father. And I think as Jesus prays here, he understands that he's departing. And when our flesh flares up, we look to the world for joy. Jesus here is about to depart and he prays that he's not out of sight, out of mind. That the joy they found in him will remain with him and not lost when he leaves him. Well, we know the Holy Spirit comes, of course, as well. That they will have uh, the same heart and spirit as of him and the Father. Doesn't mean to say that we'll do the people say to this is that means that we'll be able to go and do the exact same things. It doesn't mean that. And Jesus says here, I speak these things in the world to you. The world, the disciples, and of course, is the world we live in. It has much temptations, much distractions, much other things where we can look for contentment and joy. Calvin says this in regards to Jesus' departing, how we can be tempted from the world. We know how our minds depend on external aids and in these offer themselves we seize them rapturously it means greedily and quickly quickly and do not let ourselves be torn from them isn't it and we tempted be our eyes isn't it sometimes it's the things of the world and we just grab them when it gives us gives us some sort of satisfaction and pleasure and joy And then we find comfort in things outside Christ. Then we have a battle in our hands to let them go. The minute that you find comfort in something outside Christ, you then enter into a battle as your grip intensifies and no one to let it go. Your first joy, your first approval, your first feeling of love, your first boyfriend, your first girlfriend, the first look of lust. 
and then and pleasure, and then it becomes harder to loosen. This is why you see it in church, people coming to church who are unsaved. Just a thought here. People come to church and unsaved, and we give them all the love, all the human affection. That's what they go in the world. And then they come here and get it, and they can't lose their grip yet. And then see when that starts to get loosened, they go, oh, there's no love in this church, I'm leaving. Hard to let go yet. To know of the joy of the Lord, therefore, is to live in constant dissatisfaction. Is it not? Constant dissatisfaction. Even you are here the day and you're like, well, I'm not interested, I don't care about the Lord. I'll say this, I know, and you're really dissatisfied with life. You're, you're dissatisfied with life. You may be a fleeting moment, say, enjoyment, but you're totally dissatisfied with life. Totally at dis-ease. To be left always wanting. Like the woman at the well, who was always thirsty, because you wanted the world to satisfy her. Yet even when she walked away from Christ and could no longer see him physically, she was full of joy because she was in Christ. Because her joy was in him and he was no longer out of sight, out of mind. Anthony Burgess says, it is the joy of Christ that will wean, exceedingly wean man's heart from the world. It's only the joy in Christ that will wean you away from the desires and the pleasures of the world. Without that joy in Christ, we will be in perpetual need. Trying to gain satisfaction from all we see and have at our physical disposal. This is why people who are like this are so devastated when their partner or husband or wife goes somewhere. I was telling somebody this yesterday, just briefly. Uh, I had a girlfriend, a prisoner, whatever you want to call it, when I was 18. And I remember she told me she got a job. Oh, she didn't work. That was perfect for me. That meant she didn't leave the house. That meant she wouldn't need to get into the world. That meant she wouldn't leave me. Yeah, I can see you judging me. Because I was so insecure. And I remember she said to me, Shlatt, I've got a job. Don't maybe think, told you this story, it was like a job. It was like a dagger in my heart when she told me she had a job. That meant she was going into the world and I couldn't take care of it. It wasn't that I was taking care of it, it just meant that she would maybe go and see that I was... Well, you can pretty much figure out why I didn't want her to go to work, because then she would get into the world and she wouldn't love me. So I wanted to keep her a wee prisoner. But then you don't want to say I'm dead needy, do you? Because you don't want to say that. I'm dead needy. I'm, I've suffered for rejection and abandonment issues because I never get a bike when I was five. Right? I've got all these issues going on and I would much rather you stay in the house. I didn't say that. She was getting a job to as a, as a nanny or something like that. But then I was able to manipulate and say that she had a sister-in-law who had a baby. And I thought, I'll pay her to watch that way. That's what I've done. No, I'm not... No. I know you're judging me again. I was like, I'll pay you to watch that child. I never said it like that. I was like, you know, this child loves you. You know, you can. I'm, I'm, I'm making myself out to be all right here. You know, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, this is about love. 
this is about man nurturing love. And I, I say, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll, how much are you getting paid for this job? It was £60 a week. I always remember the amount. I was like, I could probably make that. I could probably figure out £60 a week for you to stay in the house. And I thought, what I'll do is I'll give you £60 and you can watch that child. That's your niece and you can just have a brilliant relationship with her. Isn't that love? Well, she took the job, obviously, and then the, the end of story, isn't it? The, the end of relationship, right? We started getting in and seeing that, you no, know, that I was, she was handcuffed to incredible Hulk dressed up in Dr. David Banner. And this is what happens with people when you've been taught this and you've been nurtured into dependent. Here's the thing, and much as I've been in the world, brought up my worldly environment and nurtured in the world, where you're nurtured by nurturers' parents who have no freedom for people whatsoever. None whatsoever. And then you wonder why the kid or the child has grown up and they're obsessed with upset acceptance for people and that becomes their God. Uh, this is what happens. It's no any different for the child who wrecks havoc when they no longer see the mother. And the mother's about seven feet away from them. They're just behind a wall. And the child's having a... is devastated. Because they can't see them. Such is their dependence upon the mother or the father. And that's understandable when it's a child. That's why we have to wean them, isn't it? That's why we have to, we have to wheel, wean a child away from that dependence. Some don't. Some parents don't want their child weaned. That's natural. It's not natural when the child's 38. <laughs> It's no natural when it's no natural when the child becomes an adult and they've got an obsession with acceptance for people. It's no natural when the child's an adult and they cannot leave the umbilical cord to the mother. And the mother's okay with that. That's become really sick when the mother's alright with that. When the mother then becomes so attached to the child that fleeing the nest is no good, so they make the nest comfortable so they never flee. And when they do, they are become so dependent in humans that there's only joy in them. And the joy's in the human or the joy's in the world. It's truly a sad thing, isn't it? And Jesus knows the temptations that will come because he'll be out of sight. And the enemy will capitalise every moment he can on that. The temptations that will come for them to embrace the world. The Satan loves to tempt you to believe in that you can get comfort for the world. Now that does not mean to say that humans can't comfort us at times. And we've noted that they can. Else, Apostle Paul wouldn't pray and say, I write to you, Timothy and say, I long to see you. Of course there's an element of Christ-like brotherly love in that. But it's a different, there's a big difference between that and a dependence and that's where your joy comes from. Because he knows the trials and the persecution that awaits them and in turn by setting their minds on the things above and eternal things, they will still have joy even when these things come. 
Remember they started John 16, John 16, 1 to 4. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think they offer God a service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But Jesus is leaving. Okay, let me move on to the next verses here. We're never going to get out of chapter 17. I don't even know this year. And we read these verses uh, Last week, but we, we, we touched on none of it really. Jesus continues uh, with why they need his joy, if you like. Verse 14, 15. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Do you know why the world hates you? Because you love the word. That's why the world hates you. The world hates you because you love the word. Because the world hates the word. The world hates the word of God. I was watching a little bit of Michael Palin and I'm not really into Michael Palin at all. He's ultra liberal. Uh, but it was, I, was, I was flicking through things and you know he does these round the world things and touring things. This is for years ago. But he went to North Korea and it was a wee clip I was watching him North Korea went over the Chinese border, over a river. Arrives in North Korea and he's, he's on the train in North Korea before he goes to the, 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 the main city. I can't remember the name. Is it whatever it's called. What's it called? The main I should know that. I know capital state, but... What? Pyongyang. Pyongyang. He was going to Pyongyang, but before he went to Pyongyang... Oh, I'll change it. If I say that any more times, I've got to get it wrong, innit? <laughs> I've got... I just got it right there. It's going to change. It's, it's going to be some different. And he was going to Pyongyang. Why did I say it? And anyway, the, the security came on the train and he came off the train, he was getting interviewed and he's, he's on the camera and he says, that's an interesting conversation. He was an hour on the train and he says, one of the first things they asked me is if you get a Bible. One of the first things they asked them, do you have a Bible? No, if, do you know anything about God or what kind of God have you got? Meaning they knew what the Bible was. They're educated, they knew what the Bible was. Much of these people have been educated in the Western world and go back. Do you have a Bible? Well, obviously, Michael Palin wouldn't have a Bible because he's a total heathen. But that's what they asked. It shows how much they knew about the Bible. It's like, do you have a Bible? We know what's in that. The world hates the Word. Never ask you, you got a book in God, or what do you think of this, or what do you think of that? Do you have a Bible? Some countries you get into that's what they ask you, do you have a Bible? Don't ask you what you feel about God or anything. Do you have a Bible? Because they hate God's word. They hate God's word more than they fear. 
They hate, or I'll say it this way, they hate God's word because they fear God's word. Isn't that amazing? How amazing, how powerful is God's word that people that don't believe it or people that hate it or mock it, fear it. That's powerful, isn't it? That's how powerful God's word is, is that people fear the very word. How is our joy fulfilled in him? Well, Jesus here gives the answer. Our joy is fulfilled in manifesting him by what? By his word. Oh no, that's a killer for a charismatic feelings person. Are you trying to tell me my joy is known a feeling? Are you trying to tell me it's known seeing gold dust dripping through my fingers? Yeah, that's exactly what we're saying. By his word. It's God's word that maintains our joy. It's God's word that stops temptation. It's God's word that stops his grasping for worldly joy. It's God's word that allows us to suffer for his namesake. It's God's word that unites us as one. And Satan wants the word removed, even in the church. That's what happened to our Reformation, isn't it? We found the book of the law where? In the church. Where it was buried? Two Chronicles, two Kings. You tell me that the word's been buried and hidden of all places, the church? Yeah? Why? Because the... Wait you hear this. Wait you hear this. I don't like to say that. That sounds like dead modern preaching. I don't mean that. Oh, wait you hear this. No, wait you hear my, my take. I was listening to a bit of Stephen Furtick the other day just to get annoyed. <laughs> and I, I, I wrote to him and I says this. You think that's a lot better than what it is? That's what I said. He's not got back to me yet. <laughs> he was so excited about what he's saying and it was so basically rubbish. And everybody's stoning on cue and clapping. On cue, like an orchestra. Hey, hey, nothing. Because it's coming to near the end of the message. Callum says it's when it comes to near the end of the message, he's terrified people don't leave feeling good in case they don't come back next week. It's true. And he, he, you could tell that he thought it was a lot better than what it was. It would have been a lot better if he preached the word. Satan wants the word removed even in the church. And many of the churches have done it. You look at the church today and the word's no, the word's no preached. Why is the word no preached? Because the world hates the word and the church is desperate for the world to be in the church. The church is desperate to get the world and unbelievers into the church. But because the world hates the word and the, the church knows the world hates the word, it changes the message to suit the world that hates the word. If that was Stephen Furtick, a bit of an organ playing at that point there. Yeah. Or the bishop. I'm not saying the bishop, T.D. Jakes, I'm talking about... Oh, smart guy. Unbelievers have such a reaction to the word that the church hides the word and preaches another gospel that's less offensive. This is how Satan runs riot in the church. The world 
hates the word. So the church gives them what they love instead. It gives them joy in everything but the word and the church. Well, true believers and saints are starving to death. Fractions everywhere. Because the word's no sanctifying the body. It gives them a joy in everything but the word. Is it a wonder the church doesn't have any unity? Or much yet? No holiness? They are caring for the word, the world that hates the word. I can testify that. I can testify standing in this platform ashamedly and knowing that the world hates the word due to the reaction that they're having to the word, that you start changing the word to make it more accommodating to them. And when we're no free free people and the word's no sanctifying our life, that's what's going to keep happening. If you look at the church today, what's it then? Keep embracing the world. Look at the church of Scotland, constantly embracing the world because the world hates the word and the church, using that for example, the church of Scotland thinks we're dying in numbers. We need to get the world in. It's crazy. I was walking by one of the universities recently. I think it was Glasgow. And you walk by, they've got the, the list of the pastor's names. Oh my goodness. No, on the campus. They had every pastor for everything you could mention. They had the LBGTQ pastor. They had the Muslim pastor. They had the Protestant pastor, they had the Roman Catholic pastor, they had the big toenail pastor. I'm no joking, they had a pastor for everything. They had a pastor for every leanings. No wonder the church has no unity, no holiness. All these rogue pastors, all these rogue pastors are no gathering disgruntled believers, they're gathering them that hate the word. Or never heard it, let me give a caveat for some grace here. Interesting in Thomas Brooks' book again, he states that another of Satan's devices is to persuade the soul that the work of repentance is easy. It's an easy work. And the work of repentance in the modern church is easy. You would never tell people to repent. Repentance is outdated. Sin is no longer talked about. It offends the world. Is that not the case for the church? It wants to make the world love the church. Trying to get the world to love the church. Almost embarrassed about sharing, ashamed of the gospel. If I look back at the past, and maybe you and your life, you found it easier to invite people to a non-church event in church than to sit under the word. Because <laughs> deep down you knew they hate the word. The world hates the word. They make everything easy. Make God all mercy and no truth. All mercy. No justice. 
Is that not much more appealing to the world? That you are special, you're a superstar. You're wonderful, you're amazing, you're a princess. There's always princesses, it's never prince. You're a princess. Even that's even the men now. That's even, it's even the men like, Emma, can I be a princess? I'd like to be a princess. And this is how Satan shuts the church. This is, how, this, is, this, is, this is where we're living. When John MacArthur, I was listening to an old message of him talking about this ser- one of these sermons on this, and he was talking about persecution. He's saying, well, we're not facing that. Now. It must have been years ago. He's like, we're not getting MD in prison for the gospel's sake now. We are now. Coming thick and fast. Or no, fanatics. And the, wor- the world, or sorry, the church, keeps embracing the world and loving their neighbour. Redefining it. Redefining church in the 21st century. You hear it all, don't you? And you're just thinking, you're ashamed of the gospel. You're ashamed of the gospel. And you know the world's reaction to the word. That's why you keep changing it. Because you can't cope with the thought of them no loving you. However, as we know, the word has a reaction. The word always has a reaction. We know this from the book of Acts when Peter stood up and shared his sermon. Remember when Peter stood up and shared the greatest sermon? Well, the second greatest sermon. The greatest sermon is the Sermon on the Mount. But the second greatest sermon maybe is Peter's sermon. 2,000 were added in his first sermon, eh? That could make you feel inadequate, couldn't it? 2,000 added that day. Peter, who denied Christ, denied the gospel, denied he even knew the word. No long before it. Fully the Holy Spirit then stands up and he shares this amazing sermon. We're not, he talks about, we're no drunk and he goes into the whole law. We've read it before. Let me just read this wee bit. Therefore, eh, Acts 2, 36, 39. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. you got to remember, Peter standing up here in the middle of Jerusalem. Maybe a million, a million and a half people there. With no fear whatsoever. None is gone. He knows what he could face any moment. There's obviously we know this as well. It's no, it's no his time because God's got him and God's got him in his hand taking care of him. Just like this prayer Jesus prayed. You know the prayer that Jesus prayed that we're reading here. That was coming into effect when Peter was standing preaching that sermon. They let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their hearts. It said some gnashed their teeth, eh? Sometimes there's going to be two reactions. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's the reaction you want. What do you need to do to be saved? And that's who Peter's preaching in mind. He's no thinking they're no happy. They're no happy. Her face is tripping her. Her face is tripping her. The wee woman is the wee mafia. The wee church mafia is no happy. She's gathering all her cronies. He's a big tither. He's going to leave. They're no thinking that. They're no happy. They'll gather that. They're going to start a wee posse behind her back. And 
Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I love that they say men and brethren right away. As if they're a change of heart right away, and there's a unity right away, as soon as they hear the truth of God's word. Then Peter said, repent. Oh, that's a heavy message. What do you mean, repent? Don't give me a heavy message like that. What you need to do is, is know that you are amazing and very, very special. Repent. And let every one of you be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Okay, baptize, baptism is no salvation. Okay, as Peter says, I didn't come to baptize. Therefore, it's, that's not what it's about. It's believe and be baptized. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many of the Lord our God will call. So Peter's praying. No knowing who's called, but knowing that the called will only respond to the word. And that's all he cares about. The call will always respond to the word in God's time. Some will gnash teeth, some will ask, What must I do? However, Peter preached Christ. The man who looked long before had the gospel, even from a wee girl. Are you know that guy? No. Are you not? No. Who are you? I'm, I'm one of you. I'm, I'm all right. Come on. No, you're all right. That's the, that's the church message, isn't it? That's the church message. No. Are you one of the, are you one of the, are you one of the repentance, full sin, full on, reformed Christian? No, no. We're not like that. We're like, it's like a, it's like a club. It's like a club. We just enjoy it and have a nice wee meal and a wee chat together and fly kites. Have we outings? Go to water parks. Going to water parks is all right. Eh? It's not going to. It's, it, the only thing the water parks got to do for me looking at their photos is make you freezing. <laughs> that looked Baltic, but the winds love it. But let's not be kidded that it's Christ, eh? Andrew's like, oh no, I'm not going to take them there again. No, they're young. You understand? Done loads of other things as well. Truly Peter's joy was made full, what? What? In the word. Peter even said himself, we've got something more sure. What, Peter? You see this in his epistle, Peter says, I've got something even more sure, what, even more sure than you going up to heaven in the transfiguration. I've got something more sure than I've got the word. What, you've got the word made more sure? Peter's got the word made more sure and charismatic nuts have got an experience made more sure. What chance you got? Peter's joy was made full in the word. He had no fear as he stood, captured his thoughts, preached the word. No fear. I can honestly say, no, that I'm even remotely pleased that I'm anywhere near, anywhere near that. I have no fear of repercussions of me preaching the truth of God's word. None whatsoever. That may be sound arrogant, but I honestly can hard, hard heartedly tell you, I have no fear whatsoever of any repercussions of me standing in the truth of this word. Where fear comes in is when I start compromising and I start compromising and appeasing the world. That, that's when I start getting frightened. <laughs> no fear of man, Peter. No fear of repercussions. 
He's got one purpose in mind, preach the word in season and out. And it's the work of the word that sustained him. And it's sustained all the apostles and all believers. And none of us will ever be free from the world until we trust in the word and love, live the word. None of us. The modern church ain't one in the world. World, sorry. The modern church ain't one in the world. They're losing the word. <laughs> See, that's what happens. They think they're one in the world when they're losing the word. We thought we were one in the world, but the truth is we were losing the word every day. Why? Because they're ashamed of the gospel. Because it gains way too much joy and comfort from people and their acceptance. Because they've got way too much affinity with the world. This is what Jesus is praying here specifically. Why are we ashamed of the gospel? Why are you ashamed of the gospel? That was early on when we were just ready to have our reformation. I remember speaking to Fraser, I'm like, you're ashamed of the gospel. And why you're ashamed of the gospel? You're ashamed of the gospel because you're no free for the world. That's why you're ashamed of the gospel. And you're no free for people in it. That's why we're ashamed of the gospel. Because we know that the world's going to have a reaction. And we can't cope with how they make us feel. So we dress it up and put confetti on it and make it candy floss. They make them feel a bit better about it. Because we need acceptance for the world. This is what Jesus is praying. I don't pray for this. We need to wrap up here. Verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Wouldn't we just, wouldn't that be comforting? Just, let's just shut the doors of the church. Let's not do anything and let's just play kumbaya in a kibbutz. And we never need to face the world and anything in it. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We are not free and never will be free. From the world until we trust and fully embrace the word. To stand in the word though, It's not to be accepted. And we're never going to be. That's what's going to happen, isn't it? It's getting less, it's getting more and more in the church. However, as we know, we have a high priest who continues to pray for us. And we have a word that sustains us. We have the word that sustains us in those trials and persecution. We are not of the world, just as Christ is not. Why do they hate us? Because they hate the word. Why else do they hate us? Because they hate him. <laughs> he is the word and the word became flesh. What? And dwelt among us. Remember if they hate you, they hated what? Me first. Think it's all about us. It's not all about us, it's all about him. If you can't cope with being hated, then you're going to compromise. And you've got to compromise because you think it's not about him and you think it's about you. Do you know what? 
I can honestly put my hand in heart and say, I was much less hated before I was saved. I met a young girl the other day. She, was about, she said she was 27. She said she remembered me when we, were a, when we started church when she was 14. And she was very nice to me. She was very civil. And I said to her at the end, because she asked me my mother, she says, are you Pastor Mark? I says, um. She says, my name's so-and-so, you maybe know me. I says, I cannot remember you at all. Must be way back. And she was very nice. And I says to her at the end of the conversation, I says, I says, that's really unusual. This is what I says to her. I says, it's unusual for people all that long ago to be nice to me. She says, that's quite rare for people to be still all right with me. In that time. And she says, <laughs> then she mentioned another couple of names. I thought, well, there you go. Maybe not. We are not of the world just as Christ is not. They hate us because they hate him. Calvin says this of Christ's prayer at this moment. He does not promise his disciples the grace of the Father to relieve them of all anxiety and toil, but to furnish them with unconquerable strength against their adversaries and not to let them be overwhelmed by the number of battles which they have to endure. End quote. Your salvation, yes, gives us eternity. But we're to live in this world and preach the gospel to one all men to Christ. Satan doesn't want anyone to hear the gospel, does he? Doesn't want anybody to hear the gospel. And he certainly doesn't want anybody to preach it. And he certainly doesn't want anybody to stand in the word. He'll even tell you you're no saved so you don't preach the word. That's the length you go. He'll even say you're not even saved so I don't know why you think you can even preach the word. The world we live in hates us. That's why we need to hold fast to the word. We need to free ourselves from approval, acceptance and the joy that the world dangles at us. Doesn't it just... The world just keeps on dangling joy and fun and acceptance. Because that's how Satan tempts us or attempts us to stop us from preaching the word. I want just a thought here as we wrap up. Ask yourself about the conversations you have. Here's a challenge. Don't tell me you're being Christ-like if you don't preach Christ. Okay? Don't tell me you've been Christ-like if you preach Christ and it's all acceptance and all love and it's all inclusion and you somehow think that that's, all, that's Christ. You think somehow I've got an attribute of Christ. I've got an attribute of Christ. All acceptance, all love, all inclusion, all acceptance. That's saying Jesus and God's all mercy. That's Satan's plan to stop you preaching the word. Because you're no free for people. Or you're no free for the reaction. Or their huff. Many of you have got huffy people in your life right now, haven't you? I know you have just the huffy people who try and intimidate you know to preach the word because they'll go in a bigger huff. And you accommodate them, begin them pleasures of the world. That's the wiles of Satan. That's what he wants you to do. 
you feel you've been tempted? Declare the word. Do you feel you're weak? Declare the word. Do you feel intimidated? Declare the word. Feel your joy? Joyless? Declare the word. What did Jesus do when he was tempted? Declared the word. When Paul was put in trial, declared the word. When Stephen was being stoned to death, declared the word. When the many martyrs in Scotland were about to die, declared the word. I close by reading this part in words by James Rennick. I love James Rennick. This is from one of my favourite books, uh, A Cloud of Witnesses, if you've never read it. It's phenomenal, but it gives you the dying words of the martyrs. And it's just truly, truly astounding. And I read this by James Rennick because he's one of my favourites. He was the last martyr. Oh, there'll got to be new ones now, but he was the last martyr to be martyred of the Covenanters. A young man who preached all over Lanarkshire. Pretty amazing. He was only 22 when he died. Just a young boy. 1668, I think he died. 1688. This is what he says as he's getting dragged. He gets dragged through the grass market in Edinburgh for preaching the gospel. He was asked to recant his faith and he wouldn't do it and he, he gets arrested and dragged and chains through the streets of the grass market in Edinburgh before he's martyred. This is what he says. Upon the scaffold, he sung a part of Psalm 103. Right from the beginning. And then he read the 19th chapter of Revelation. What was he doing, people? Declaring the word. In the prayer he said, Lord, I die for the faith that thou will not leave Scotland but that thou will make the blood of thy witnesses the seed of the church and return again and be glorious in our land. And now, Lord, I will ready, I am ready. The bride, the lamb's wife, have made herself ready. The napkin then being tied about his face, they blindfold him. He said to his friend attending him, Farewell. Be diligent in duty. Make your peace with God through Christ. There is great trials coming. As to the remnant I leave, I have committed them to God. Tell them from me not to weary, not to be discouraged, to maintain the testimony. Let them not quit or forgo one of these despised truths. Let, I need to say that again. Let them not quit nor forgo one of these despised truths. Keep your ground and the Lord will provide you teachers and ministers and when he comes, he will make these despised truths glorious upon the earth. Then he was turned over the ladder with these words in his mouth. Lord, into thy hands I commit my spirit for thou hast redeemed me, the Lord God.
of truth. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.